Pet Resource Radio is sponsored by La Mega KC, Kansas City Spanish radio station. Listen online or at 100.5 FM. We're also sponsored by our friends at 1KC Radio. Listen at 100.1 in the KC Metro or online at 1kcradio.org. When you absolutely positively have to get that puppy out of the shelter and into a forever home, who do you turn to? In many cases, it's the folks at Pilots and Paws. We'll talk to a few of their pilots coming up on Pet Resource Radio. From the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, I'm Dave Shapiro. And I'm Sierra Howe, and welcome to the program. We're coming to you from our headquarters here at 59th and Troost in Kansas City, Missouri. We're a nonprofit dedicated to keeping pets and people together through supportive services. Indeed. Sierra, how are you? I'm doing great, aside from the fact that it's pretty windy and chilly, but how are you? I'm okay. You know, it's been a busy week. There's a lot going on. Um, and it's been pretty intense, so it's nice to take a break and come and sit in the studio and, and just talk. For sure. And when I get home, I have my Christmas tree up. I just have good vibes. Yeah. The holidays are coming, so. So yeah, Fridays. Right? Mm-hmm. I tell you what, why don't we go do some pet news? Sounds good. start pet news off today with a bang with a story that I myself have been waiting to hear and I think it'll give everyone a good laugh. So a man named Steven recently got a lot of attention on Reddit after he posted about his girlfriend of one year, Melissa, giving him the ultimatum of picking her or his cat, Connie. And well, let's just say the two have been broken up for a few weeks now. He said in his post that he really thought Melissa was the one. They'd been dating for a year and getting to the point where they were considering moving in together, up until he was totally blindsided to hear that she secretly thought cats were ugly and annoying and that Connie specifically looked dumb and called her an idiot. So it's no wonder he broke up with her because it's just not acceptable to talk like that about an animal, let alone anyone else in general. But what I love most about the story is what Steven said, quote, I love Connie and I also promised her on the day I adopted her from the shelter that I will always take care of her. I'm keeping my promise. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, sounds like he's a real winner. I really wanted to just scroll through the comments, but I knew <laughs> that I was going to spend hours there. Yeah, yeah, and for I sure. can't do that while I'm on the clock. So, but good on him for you know understanding that he made that commitment and not giving up that commitment because exactly. of another commitment. Yeah. So it's a funny story, but it also has a serious takeaway. Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, I'm sure there are people out there who would, unfortunately, yeah, give up their animals, but maybe that just means that it wasn't meant to be and somebody else is out there for them. Exactly. Your turn. Losing a pet is hard, but not everybody understands that. That's why Michelle Crossley, a mental health counselor, and Colleen Rowland, a pet loss grief specialist, have written a paper on issues surrounding grief over the loss of a pet published just a couple of weeks ago in the journal Human-Animal Interactions. They advocate for a stronger support system for grieving pet owners. Not all mental health experts understand the depth of the human-animal bond, and that can lead to a lack of understanding and a lack of proper support for grieving pet owners. A lack of compassion towards their grief leads it to become a disenfranchised grief, which is when the grief is important to the person in question, but not acknowledged by society at large. Quote, that person just turns even more inward, and the grief and the suffering just continues to go on, said Rowland. 
In her view, she would like to see counselors, quote, really starting to have the conversation from the get-go of who your support systems are. Do you have any companion animals? And what role do you see them play in your life, in your mental wellness, and in your stress? The hope is that the stigma around pet loss grief will start to dissipate, at least in terms of the mental health industry. And I think this is pretty uh, interesting. It's it's interesting for me because we work in animal welfare. So like we all understand exactly pet loss, grief. And it seems astounding to me that somebody wouldn't understand that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess it makes sense. That never crossed my mind because to me, pets have always been my family. So I'm going to grieve a dog or a cat just like I would. Yeah an aunt or an uncle, a cousin, or whoever it is, because you spend so much time with them yeah. that it's definitely never going to be the same without them. So, yeah, I'm bummed to hear that there is, like, just, like, a stigma surrounding Yeah, me too. Grief. And I'm glad that there are places, you know, like Wayside Waves has a support group for people that have lost pets. Um, you know, I think there are different organizations that are, are trying to fill that gap. But it'd be nice to, to see that mm-hmm. kind of uh, become something in the mental health industry in general. Yeah, and maybe that's someone we have on our show to talk about oh, pet grief. So hey. stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um. Well, okay, let's go talk to our friends from Pilots and Paws. I think this is going to be really cool. Pilots and Paws was founded in 2008 when Debbie Boys wanted to adopt a dog that was in Florida while she was in South Carolina. John Warenberg, a pilot, helped her make it happen, and the idea was born. They created a website with a forum as the means for coordinators at rescues and shelters to connect with volunteer pilots and get pets out of kill shelters and into a safer space, or better yet, with a loving family. In the years since, they've transported over 200,000 animals and have over 6,000 volunteer pilots in all 50 states. I reached out to the organization to learn a little bit more, and they referred me to a whole host of pilots right here in the Casey area, volunteering their time to transport pets. I talked with four of them to get a feel for what it's like to be a part of something like this. Nick Blair, a flying instructor, summed up Pilots and Paws' mission pretty succinctly, and it gives you a sense of what's at stake. A lot of them are animals that have been abused or mistreated or rescued from uh, puppy mills that have now been adopted in another state and um, need transportation to get to their new forever home. Sometimes... Uh, the rescue organizations will go ahead and lay out different different flight legs that they just want filled. Um, or other times, it's just pilots kind of volunteering, like, "Hey, I can I can take the dog this far," and then somebody else sees that and says, "Okay, well, I can take it uh, the rest of the way." And it's just all complete networking and, and volunteer work there. Ryan Smith owns his own private security company and loves to fly. When I asked him what brought him to Pilots and Paws, here's what he said. You know, I think it was a mix for me of, of being able to, you know, I enjoy flying. And once I got my license and kind of got, you know, I travel a little bit here and there, but a, a lot of the times I was looking for a mission, uh, you know, something to do that could, um, you know, be fun and get some flying experience, but also do something good. And so it was kind of a good way to combine my love of, of flying and love of animals and particularly dogs um, was kind of what got me interested in it. And that seemed to be a commonality among the pilots. 
Flying is fun, they said, but flying for a purpose is even better. For Nick, it was a perfect match. I was tired of just kind of flying around without any purpose, so I found Pilots and Paws, and uh, it really gave me a purpose to to flying um, and, and building those hours. So um, I have an extreme passion for for animals, huge animal lover. Um, doesn't matter what type of animal it is. So um, it really just helped me combine two passions that I have of um, of animals and rescuing animals um, and flying. So. Just mixing the the two together is just the perfect combination for me. John Ford, retired, doesn't actually have any dogs of his own. Never has. But that hasn't stopped him from flying 21 flights and transporting a total of 57 dogs. It's one thing to, you know, give some money to SPCA or whatever. But it's another thing to take a real dog, um, you know, from a real kill shelter and, you know, fly them to a real um, for Heveron, you know, and so I thought that would be cool. And, uh, so that's why I do it. I just, uh, I feel, I feel a lot of, uh, accomplishment, sense of accomplishment and, uh, satisfaction. And maybe it's that sense of satisfaction that's caused their volunteer pilot ranks to swell to over 6,000. But as Patrick Oaks, who flies when he's not at his job at an architectural engineering firm told me, you really need that many pilots. There's a fair amount, but you need a fair amount, you know, because a lot of this stuff um, comes up on very short notice, Um, 24, 36 hours, you know, and, um, you know, we all have lives outside of pilots and paws. So you you almost need a large resource base uh, to be able to get get these flights scheduled because, you know, obviously one out of 10 might have the time to, to do it. I think, uh, quite frankly, um, I think those of us that are part of the Pilots and Paws organization and mission probably get more out of it than the the actual animals we're we're rescuing. <laughs> I think you know, there's you know there's just something it's it's very rewarding um, and it's it's never been anything but positive. For Ryan, there's an additional component to what he gets out of it. Yeah, and for me too, it's been my daughter who's eight is a big dog lover and it has been something that's been cool for us to do together of, you know, Hey, and she really, you know, gets behind and loves the fact that, Hey, not only do we get to, you know, pet and play with the dogs, but we're doing something good for them and getting them someplace. So it's, it's been, you know, I mean, somewhat selfishly, I, I, you know, get more out of it than probably put into it. And certainly being able to share that with my daughter has been special. And uh, so that's been another piece of it. But what is it like to fly these dogs? I asked if they had any stories in particular that stuck with them. Here's John. I think it was the second flight I ever did. Um, it was a flight from Kansas City to Ottumwa, Iowa. Um, and there was this uh, Belgian Malinois. He was about a 70, 75-pound uh, dog. His name was Sarge. And a very, very nice dog. I mean, I'm not a connoisseur, but, you know, in my books, it was a very nice dog. And uh, we landed in Iowa, in uh, Ottumwa, Iowa, and uh, I had two dogs that day, and I had a small dog, and I had the, I had Sarge. And so I took them both out of the of the plane, and uh, I said, well, I'm going to take the little dog over to the next plane. I'm going to tie Sarge to the, you know, footrest of my plane. And um, <clears throat> so by the time I had the um, the other little dog over to the next plane, here comes Sarge. He broke his leech. 
And uh, what impressed me the most was that, you know, instead of running off uh, cross country across Iowa to escape, he ran to me. I saw a picture of him in Texas at the rescue, uh, basically just crumpled in an aluminum box, you know, on the side of a capture vehicle. And then the uh, the new uh, the new forever home uh, people sent us a picture of him uh, in his new environment, which was, I mean, if you can imagine a painting of um, uh, you know three or four horses, split rail fence, wide wide fields, and there was Sarge, you know, sitting sitting with a smile next to the split rail fence in the grass and. Um, you know, you can imagine uh, a dog like that uh, that likes to run. He had all this freedom and, uh, you know, was being cared for. So that was kind of my my uh, highlight of all the dogs, I think, that I remember. I can't imagine the feeling of seeing a dog you transported in a wonderful forever home. It's got to be something special. And it's a commonality among the pilots. Here's Ryan. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was one in particular where there was a dog that had been kept in a kennel. 24 hours a day um it had been found you know by somebody and then they were looking to get it to a foster home and so i I know that one it was the sweetest dog it was just really nice and it felt good because it felt like you know this dog had had a a rough go at it but was finally getting to a place that um that was going to be good for him so i remember that one in particular um just feeling like i had you know done a good thing or had been a part of a small part of um you know, doing a good thing for that dog. And for Patrick, the dog he remembers is a lesson on not judging a pet by its breed. There was actually, yes. And I was, I was a leg from Lee summit up to, I'm trying to remember it was somewhere in Iowa and this gentleman landed. Um, and it was a, a pit bull blend, uh, pit bull mix, and um, we went to, and he was in a crate in the back of this gentleman's airplane, and we got him out of the crate. And I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put him on a leash and let him out and let him do some, do his business. You know, he he had come up from Texas, I believe, or Oklahoma, and he was the guy almost ran away. He goes, this dog's crazy. Um, I don't want anything to do with it. Blah 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 blah. And um, <laughs> this dog, this dog was the gentlest, kindest, sweetest little critter on the planet. <laughs> Why, you know, it animals sense, uh, sense reactions, sense emotion, sense, you, you know, that as well as I do, because you're in the business. And I just think this guy was freaked out because it was a pit bull. Yeah. And, um, the dog sensed the nervousness, you know. But ended up being just the. In fact, I didn't even crate him in my plane to to take him north. He just sat in the back seat and pretty much fell asleep on a blanket. Volunteering for Pilots and Paws has been a lot to Nick, and working in aviation, he's got a unique opportunity to bring others into the fold. Really, any any pilot I talk to and train, I'm a, a flight instructor, so I always try to to promote Pilots and Paws and and helping uh, these animals out because. Um, Every animal I've I've transported so far, it's it's kind of crazy. You can see the the thankfulness in their eyes. They're just they almost realize what you're doing for them. And I've never had any issues transporting them. They're always just absolutely perfect. And uh, it's just really an amazing thing that um, the organization is is able to do for these animals. 
And yes, we focus on the pilots here, but let's not forget the unsung heroes, the coordinators at shelters working to arrange flights, wrangling everyone's schedules and the weather to make magic happen. But what I find fascinating, and there's one gal in particular, her name's Brenda, and she runs, I think, one of the organizations down in Texas that coordinates. But they have to coordinate these things because typically, you know, if they're trying to get a dog from Texas to Chicago, that may take four pilots. And the logistics of coordinating all that, because most people can go, hey, I'll take an hour down and an hour back, but, you know, I can't do the whole thing. Or, you know, a flight from Texas to Chicago and the little single engine planes we fly could be an eight hour you know, ordeal. But what's funny is, you know, the, the, the finickiness of the weather, this pilot can fly IFR and weather, but the person on the first leg is only a VFR pilot. So if they can, if one of those legs falls out of place, the whole flight falls out of place. And so seeing them coordinate that and they get people interested and then there's a text chain and they say, okay, I got this. And are you leaving there? It's surprising to me how, they don't pull their hair out with that. I mean, because just the logistics of coordinating all of that and, and dealing with that, I just always was amazed, especially by Brenda. She just seems cool and, and collected and is always rolling with the punches. Of there's, there's never seems to be just a smooth flight where everything works out logistically. There's always a hiccup. And I just, I think, you know, and for them, they do it truly for the love and the service of animals. And I think the pilots do as well, but I think a lot of times the primary motivator is, Hey, I want to get up in the air and fly. And if I can couple that with a good thing, great. But those people are truly the, you know, the workhorses behind it and, and they don't do it for the love of flying. They do it strictly for the animals. And it really is all about the animals. It's inspiring to see this organization grow and become a real savior for pets and kill shelters and for dogs that were rescued from puppy mills, helping them get to a place where they can have a better life. This organization is really filling a need because our animal welfare system is really many, many systems, all with the rules and restrictions and laws they have to abide by that vary from state to state, from city to city. It takes a lot to try to balance the scales, and we're glad the Pilots and Paws is making it happen. We leave you with the thought from Patrick that sums up our feelings about them. He was talking about the coordinators, but we think it applies pretty well to everybody involved. It's just, it's refreshing to know that there, there are a lot of people out there that that are that compassionate. This episode drops on National Volunteer Day, and if you're in animal welfare or work for a nonprofit, you know just how vital volunteers are. For us, we couldn't do anything without them. Every single aspect of our work here at PRCKC is touched by volunteers. Every department needs a hand to keep our staff from burning out under the load of clients we see every day since our goal is to help as many pets as we can. Volunteers help us maintain the number of clients we see without sacrificing quality, because what good is helping if you can't help properly? Our volunteers are made up of a lot of different kinds of people. We have high school students through Crystal Ray High School and the Southland Caps program who want to get a feel for what it's like to work in the veterinary industry so that they can figure out what they want to do as they move forward in their lives. We even have high school students who volunteer on their own outside of a program because they're just community-minded. We have college students who work at our drive through clinics on the weekends because that's all they have time for, but then when a holiday break rolls around, they show up to help in the clinic because they're just that dedicated dedicated and community-minded. Their willingness to give of themselves to the community speaks to the kind of people they'll be when they leave school and fully enter the working world. 
We even have folks who work full-time jobs and still make time for us on the weekends, working at our drive through clinics or at our Saturday pet food pantry. These are people who often have kids and are still making it a point to be there for the community, for pets, and for their families. Sometimes they even bring their kids and make it a family affair, something that really warms our heart. It's a great thing to see the next generation of volunteers seeing what this is all about and how they can make a difference. Sometimes stay-at-home parents come in during the day to help in surgery, running pets and giving owners the scoop on how to best care for their pet after surgery. This is a critical role because owners are being reunited with the pets they've been worried about all day. Making sure they're comfortable caring for their newly fixed pets is a must, and they come through with flying colors. And we have retirees who honestly are kind of the backbone. They have the time and the skills to help us with paperwork processing and data entry, two things that are sorely needed in a clinic where we see about 150 pets a day. We love seeing them every day and hearing about what's going on with them, their families, and learning about the experiences they've had in their lives. A lot of folks in their retirement might just be content to stay at home and watch TV, but our volunteers love engaging with the community and being a part of something, and we're eternally grateful. And that's just our volunteers. There are so many organizations around the world that rely on the kindness and generosity of volunteers to keep things moving, to keep helping, and to make the world a better place. A big shout out to all the volunteers. If you've never volunteered, give it a shot. It's a very rewarding thing to know that your time and energy is going to create a better community. say goodbye to you friends. Big thanks again to our friends at Pilots and Paws for chatting with us today. You can learn more about them at pilotsintheletterpaws.org. As for us, we're a nonprofit dedicated to keeping pets and people together and you can help. Just go to prckc.org. You can donate, volunteer, shop our online store and more. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app, please be sure to rate us and leave us a review. Pretty please. That always helps new people find us. And for all of the latest information, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at PRR Podcast on both platforms. So tail wags and purrs to you and yours. And as the explorer Robert Falcon Scott said, the dog lives for the day, the hour, even the moment. Take care. Pet Resource Radio is a production of the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, produced, written, and hosted by Sierra Howe and David Shapiro, recorded, mixed, and mastered by Dave Shapiro, music by Hazel Raw Musical Industries, a.k.a. me. More info at soundcloud.com slash Hazel Raw Musical Industries. Music.